Hello and welcome into Jam Session. Glad to have whoever you are listening to us. Jam Session is Matt McLaren and Jean-Jacques Taylor. We're two guys who used to do a radio show on ESPN Radio in Dallas, Texas. We now do this podcast. We talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys, other Dallas sports teams, and just our interests in Dallas, nightlife, stories, beer, all kinds of things. Glad to have you. Thanks for listening. Let's get going. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Brought to you as always by Greening Law, personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What is up, dog? <laughs> God. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a new one to start off. Your morning, your evening, your night, whenever you're listening to this. I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 343, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained, my friend. The real key is, can you speak like that the entire time? No, I'm giving it up after that. I've, I've, I've done it all. Because eventually your voice will just be like, why am I doing this? Yes. Uh, sometimes you have to amuse yourself. Yeah, sometimes you do. I've pretty much live my life that way. That's not a bad way to do it, my brother. Not at all. I, I highly support it. <laughs> highly support it. But there are things I don't highly support, or I'm not sure if I support. And many of you are probably well aware. This is like... So the other day, Jacques and I recorded on Sunday morning, and normally we record on Sunday evenings after Cowboy games and whatnot, and Sunday afternoon, the Kyrie Irving trade had broke, and I had already edited and loaded the podcast and everything. I was like, ah, whatever, we'll just get to it on our next recording. So we are going to jump into the Dallas Mavericks monster trade for Kyrie Irving. Got some stuff to get to around the block. We'll have all that for you. But we got to tell you about Greening Law. And, and I, I will tell you this, and I've been working with Greening Law for a year and a half, and we are reaching the very end of my case. The results are highly positive. And it's one of those things where I had a conversation with them yesterday, and I just, I was like, wow. Like, why? because of the fact that I can't really get into too many details about it, but some of the things that they can do for you that you, I, I, and I've said this before, and this is true. I do not know how a normal person would be able to do some of the things that Green Law can do. I don't know if you can do it, honestly. They have some ways to work with these insurance companies, to work with your medical providers, to help you. That it's, I, I told them, I was like, I don't know how you guys did this. I really don't know how you did this. This is incredible to me. And that's Greening Law. That's the green team that Robert Greening has. So if you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've been injured on the premises of a business, I am telling you, you need to have somebody in your corner who can navigate these waters. And the green team is the, is the one for me. I can tell you that. 
No, Matt's been telling you this from the jump, man, that if you're involved in something, and he just talked about an accident, business at, at a residence, uh, you know, that's not your own, just pick up the phone and call him, 972-934-8900. That's really all you need to do. And tell him your case. Hey, here's my situation. What do you think? And if they bring you on as a client, Matt's told you, it's your lucky day. Because when you're going up against somebody else's big insurance company that has no intention of compensating you for the pain that you and the suffering that you've been through, you need somebody to fight for you. You need somebody to ride with you. You need somebody who knows the ins and outs and the nuances of the laws. Somebody's got the latest technology to take advantage of every single solitary team that they could do to help you. That's what Greening Law does. And so when you've got somebody like that who doesn't get paid unless you get paid, then you never have to wonder whether they're working for you, whether they're fighting for you, whether they're doing everything they can on your case. You can just assume it. And um, that's why we're telling you, if you're involved in something like that, don't try to figure it out yourself. Just pick up the phone, give the Green team, Robert Greening, a call, 972-934-8900. Do it because it'll be a great decision. If they bring you on, they will fight for you. They will do things that you just cannot foresee. And the consultation's free. So find out if you've got a case today at 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So the Dallas Mavericks on Sunday afternoon dropped the NBA trade bomb of the year. Kyrie Irving, who is easily the most talented, hands down the best player that's going to be available at the trade deadline. There was some inklings that we had heard some rumors that the Mavs, the Lakers, and and maybe a couple of other teams were interested in Kyrie Irving. Now you hear this and you go, okay, we'll see. And then the Mavs pull off the stunner. And Kyrie Irving is coming to Dallas in exchange, as many of you know by now, for Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Didwinney and three draft picks, one of which is a 2029 first-round pick. Who cares? The draft, like NBA draft picks to me, the Mavs, unless they just fall off a cliff, are not going to be picking high enough in the draft where it even matters. So I don't even care about the picks. Dorian Finney-Smith, I will say this, is to me one of the probably more underappreciated Mavs and is one of those Mavs that we may look back throughout the course of time at and kind of look and say, man, that dude, he is one of those kick-ass things of what you kind of hope an athlete is. He was really, really good with the media. He was a a salt-of-the-earth human being, had a great attitude, an undrafted pick out of Florida who worked himself from, who the heck is this little rookie guy, into really a key cog of the entire franchise, the organization, got his big contract extension. He kind of symbolizes to me what you you love to see in sports. And it, it, you knew he was going to be a big trade commodity because he's a 3 and D wing guy. And it, it sucks to see Dorian go, but that's the price that you got to pay. You got to give something to get something. Bro, I mean, that's, that's the nature of the beast, and that's what those guys are here for <laughs> because the NBA is all about stars, man. Uh, to me, it is. Uh, yes. Yeah, you got to have role players who fill out your team, but it's all about the star power that you got. Who can get you a bucket at the end of a game? You know, all that kind of stuff. And so to get those players, if you don't draft them, typically you got to give up some of your guys like that, some of your Dorian Finney-Smiths that you miss because they bring grit to your team and uh, they do all that dirty work that that people don't notice until until nobody's doing it. Yep. But um, as we like to say, man, uh, you got to give to get. Uh, And so if you're acquiring – one of the NBA's most talented players, even if he is one of the NBA's bad boys, 
then you got to give up something to get it. And so the price to me was not necessarily all that high. Uh, you know, Dinwiddie's a good player, but yeah. he's certainly not a. He's certain. I mean, he's that's what he is. He's a good player. He's not a star. Uh, Finney Smith is a good player. He's certainly not a star. And so, you know, I think the logic behind the draft pick, because no, none of us care about it today, right? But I think Luca, if he ever left, he could leave after the twenty twenty seven season, and so that could. That's probably the Nets going. Hey, let's just take a shot in the dark. Luca leaves them. They could be trash in 2029, and uh, we can have a pick that's, you know, top five. Yeah, so we'll see how it turns out with all that, but you're getting back Kyrie Irving, who I think most of us, and I, I as soon as this went down, a couple of my friends, I mean, in our little group chat, everybody's like, oh, no, like, gross. I, I don't want this guy. Why did they have to trade for Kyrie Irving? And reality of it is, I felt the same way. This is a very weird dichotomy of a player that I cannot stand. He comes across as a shit human being, extraordinarily selfish, idiotic in some of his thoughts and things that he says out in, in the real world, the flat earth thing, the dinosaur thing. Uh, regardless of what your feelings are with COVID, he missed almost an entire season because he refused to get a vaccine. His personal choice, good for him. The anti-Semite remarks that he made in his promotion when he refused to apologize for some of the stuff he posted on social media earlier this year until he realized, oh, crap, I like this is really bad for me if I don't come out with this fake apology. He has been a cancer on every team that he has been on. But at the same time, he is one of the best players in the NBA. He immediately gives the Dallas Mavericks the best bass court in the National Basketball Association. He, they, they now have the best backcourt they do they have the highest scoring duo in the nba they are the only team now that has two all-stars that are be starting for them and you look at this from a purely basketball standpoint this is obviously a no-brainer move for the mavs because you could the, with dorian finney smith and dinwiddie you could see the way the team was constructed this is a team that's struggling to stay above 500 because they got nothing outside of luka they got nobody who can hit shots, nobody who can create. Obviously not having Brunson is a colossal loss. Well, Kyrie Irving is Jalen Brunson on steroids. And I, and no, I say that in a sense where Kyrie Irving is, is a superstar while Jalen Brunson might just be a star, if that. I was going to say, I don't know that he's a star yet. He's a really good player. Um, you know, and I think we have to, we have, you know, you have to um, understand that there's different levels to it, man. And what what Kyrie does is Kyrie gives you a shot. Doesn't mean you're going to win a championship, but he gives you a shot because there's nobody now, as of today, that says, oh, goody, we get to play the Mavericks in the playoffs. There's nobody saying that because they're going to be a pain in the ass to deal with offensively. Excuse me. And if they can find some guy, like I think one of the best things they did is they were able to keep Christian Wood. Like, I like Christian Wood. I don't know why everybody seems to be like, ah, he's just a guy, he's whatever. He's played pretty good to me, and he does some things you can yeah. like. But to me, just like, um, and I've kind of vacillated over this trade, just like they weren't going to win, to me, a championship with Jalen Brunson as their second best player, they weren't going to win a championship with Christian Wood as their second best player. Um, they can win the championship, with Kyrie and Luka being one and one A, however you want to put them. Yeah. Um, if the other guys around them 
can step up and play good enough. Um, and so when I, I'm like you, man, you look at it and Kyrie is just like, yeah, geez, it's always something. Uh, but, you know, by the same token, you know, he, he never does anything criminal. It's just stuff that gets on your nerves uh, and stuff that you don't like to deal with and, and stuff you'd be like, really, just if you just shut up and chill, everything would be great. But if I go a step further and look at it just from a basketball perspective, because um, I was like, man, I don't know if I want Kyrie on my team. Yeah. If, if, if I'm looking at it from a fan perspective. And my father, I was talking to him because he's a – He's a much bigger basketball fan than I am. So he's like, hey, let's, let's talk about Kyrie. I, I. And I said, I don't know, man. He said, well, check this out. He goes, the Mavericks weren't winning shit without him. Right. He said, so if you have him, you have a chance to win shit. He said, shit. But you certainly weren't going to win without him. And, you know, if you don't win, why you've got him? Well, you weren't going to win anyway. So it's a chance worth taking because now you have a shot – as a franchise that you didn't have before. And, and to that, yeah, I couldn't really I argue. agree. And he's right. He, he's 100% right. The Dallas Ma- I don't think the Dallas Mavericks, they are fighting to maintain themselves in the playoff picture. They are a first-round exit without, with, with the way that the current, the past roster was constructed. And as he said, acquiring Kyrie Irving legitimately gives you a chance to win an NBA title. And it's, it's a rental it either works or it doesn't. If it doesn't work, then he's a free agent this summer. You walk away. People are like, oh, but you gave all that up. Right. And then you have max cap space, and you can do almost whatever you want in free agency. And we'll see because in the next couple of days, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday afternoon, and there's a lot of thought that the Mavs are trying to make some other moves. And it's... I think you have to show, one, you have to show Luca. look, we, we want to win with you. We will do whatever it takes to put the best possible team around you that we can. And I think they're showing him that. This is Nico Harrison's first real big move as general manager of this franchise coming in. He knows Kyrie Irving. That's part of the reason I think that they're, at least in his mind, is a comfort level from his relationship with Kyrie Irving when he was an executive at Nike and feels that he has a very good relationship with them. They've, they've talked about that a couple times since the trade. Jason Kidd is very familiar with Kyrie Irving. Apparently, Kyrie Irving looked up to Jason Kidd as a Hall of Fame guard, has a lot of respect for him. We'll see how that relationship turns out. But, man, it's still – he feels to me like a guy that y- – y- you might not want to resign. Like, okay, you you might come in and be on your best behavior. This thing might work through a, a title run this year. But how long right. do you trust? Like, do I trust Kyrie Irving can function in Dallas for three seasons? No. Can he can he do it from February until June for the next four months without doing something stupid or pissing everybody off? Maybe he can. Yeah, it depends on uh, you know a lot of that man depends on what his personal motives are, which we'll never know. You know, what's uh, what's he up to? What's he want? What's really important to him? And none of us, uh, you know, none of us know. I know it has generated a level of excitement. I received a text, much like your phone was blown up. Uh, I received a text from my son, a rare sports-related text from my son where he's initiating the conversation. And it goes like this. This was Sunday night. Okay, so when can I get some tickets to go watch Kyrie and Luca? All right. Like, oh, it's, I'm like, it's like that. 
He said, yeah, I'm ready to go check him out. And I was like, wow. Uh, now, he doesn't really get excited about much, but apparently this pairing has him all uh, hot and bothered. And I think that's because uh, since he's been alive, he hadn't seen any championships in I guess he he was he saw the Mavericks, but he wasn't he wasn't so much into it then. Yeah. Uh, so you know I think he's he's hyped about the possibilities, and uh, and what's going on. And so you know, man, it's uh, I just let me ask you this, man. Um, and you know we probably had this conversation when the Cowboys added Greg Hardy. Are you just a win at any cost? Like I don't care who's on my team. As long as we, as long as I win a championship, you know, this is a, a really interesting conversation. I was talking about this yesterday on the radio. Of what do you do when a team you love has a player you cannot stand and have a very difficult time rooting for that player, but that player helps the team that you love have success. And obviously, what Greg Hardy did is colossally different to Kyrie Irving. I mean, quite honestly, Kyrie Irving was just a dumbass with stupid thoughts. The flatter thing and the dinosaurs and all that, that's just dumb. Until this year, when he went, the whole thing with the the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and his posting on social media about a film that was filled with those types of things. And then he had multiple opportunities where he was challenged and explained what it was about and asked to apologize. And he was really combative in that, you know, that to me was the one where I was like, I mean, I said at the time, I don't know if you can have this dude in the league, like suspend him for the year. If he didn't apologize, because you can't make comments like he made promote the material he was promoting you know, that to me was on a different level than I think the earth is flat. Okay, well, you're a fucking idiot, quite <laughs> frankly, versus what he was promoting there because now you're a racist, and that's different. Right. You know, much like Greg Hardy. The, the, I didn't want any part of Greg Hardy with the Cowboys. It, I, I, it's like, okay, so Greg Hardy gets a sack. I'm not going to celebrate that. It's good for the team, but I don't want Greg Hardy to have success. I mean, when those pictures came out about Greg Hardy, I was like, what are we doing? Why are we putting this dude on this team? Because you're trying to win at all costs. Right. It's a and, and desperation to win. It's a thirst to win. It's, uh, you know, you, you're so thirsty. Hey, it's, it's, a, it's a, if you're a woman, it's, it's a dude at the club I'd never, ever consider. But I'm so thirsty right now, I'm considering. And same thing if you're, if you're a dude thinking about a woman. I, normally I wouldn't, but I'm so thirsty I'm considering right now. Right. It, it comes down to the crazy, how much crazy can you handle? And I get, you know, we all have a different level, how much crazy we can handle right? with anybody in our lives. And so then, yeah, I mean, this is just such a strange thing because, you know, if the Mavs win the NBA championship in June, I'm going to buy a t-shirt. Everybody's going to celebrate. He's going to be on a lead float. With right. It, and, and we're all, and, and that's the thing is you got to have super elite talent to be able to overcome some of the stuff that, that guys at his level bring with you. And we all will look at the elite talent and be like, yeah, but he apologized. And yeah, oh, yeah, but I can ignore that. Well, you know, man, it's uh, I sent you a text like it, it. Like my initial thought when I was thinking about it the other day, I'm in Jackson uh, working on the book. And so I had a six hour drive yesterday or the other day. And so I was sitting there during the drive thinking, you know, really, Kyrie kind of reminds me of T.O. Meaning. He, 
And I think you drew the distinction, but it's clear to draw it. Like, he ain't never in no legal trouble. Um, you know, but he's a guy who has immense talent. So much talent that he shouldn't be on all these different teams. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody should want to get rid of that talent. Uh, but he does all this other stuff uh, that just destroys your locker room and destroys you from the inside out that people ultimately like your talent's not worth it. Uh, and to me, that's, you know, t like I saw T.O. Uh, this fall at one of uh, Jackson State's game. I think it was Alabama State. And uh, we actually talked for about 10, 15 minutes, and he was fine. And I go, I remember, and it made me remember that a lot of times you could talk to T.O. and he'd be great. And then one day he'd wake up and do something. He's just like, what are you doing, bro? Yeah. And I think that's probably how Kyrie is. Like, you know, he, he went in he played at Duke. So it's not like he's dumb. Uh, he had a certain level of intelligence. And even with his theories, they're really based on people who are always out here searching for answers, reading, looking at all this other stuff, which is how they come in contact with some of these weird theories. Uh, so he's a very interesting person to me. And it would be interesting to talk to the people who really know him best, whoever those people are. And really find out like what what he's really all about and what really makes him tick, because, you know, who comes up with all these theories, bro? I I don't know, man. And and again, all that stuff like okay, it, it falls in the world of you're crazy and we uh, like, like you are just ignoring evidence and whatever you want to believe in whatever. Fine, cool. It's it's the stuff that happened this season. I mean, you had an NBA team that flat out said he is unfit. To be associated with the, the, I mean, that's what they released when, when he came out because he refused to apologize for the stuff that he was promoting on Twitter. The, the Nets literally said he's currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets because he would not say that he has no anti-Semitic beliefs and they suspended. I mean, he missed eight games because he refused to say that. Hmm. And yep. so that's the like that's the one thing to me that just jumps out the most. And then obviously, he finally apologized in an Instagram post for not explaining the specific beliefs he agreed and disagreed with when he posted the documentary. It, and it's one of those things where, you know, why were you so combative? Why, like, when it was pointed out to you, hey man, did you not know what was going on here? Because what you're promoting is extremely offensive to a lot of people. And then he's like, he just combats it and fights it. Why? Like, what? What? That's, you know. Um, well, let me ask you this, because we've all now decided that he's essentially crazy in one way, shape, form, or the other. Um, the other question is, how does it work from a basketball standpoint, man? Well, that's, that's yeah. what's going to be interesting to see how they fit two dominant ball handlers together. Yeah, I mean, two dominant ball handle people together. Uh, and so I'm interested to see how it goes. Who's going to bring it up and how are they going to uh, just work with that whole thing, man? Because, um, you know, dog, it's, uh, it's a situation where I don't know, you know, they can both, they both have the ability to play off the ball. But like, you know, who will? Yeah. And how you gonna, how you gonna do it? And, and it's three seconds left in the game. Who's going to take the last shot? And is there going to be somebody tripping because they didn't take it? Um, and I'm always reminded of this. It seems to me 
whenever you have these types of moves, and the one that comes to mind first and foremost is LeBron James going to the Heat and working with Dwayne Wade, two alphas, and how I think that they started that season like nine and eight as they tried to figure out how the hell we going to play. Yeah. And so just because they had Kyrie, you know, it wouldn't shock me if the Mavericks were somewhere around 500 through 10, 15 games, even though I think there's only 27 left in the season, as they try to figure out how to play with each other and how to work it out uh, before they get to the playoffs. Yep. They got to. And, I mean, look, the reality of it is is that Luka can play four of the five spots on the floor I mean, he, he's almost like like Magic Johnson type player. I mean, honestly, where he he's very comfortable as the ball dominant point guard. But if you need him to, he can play uh, all over the floor and he can excel all over the floor and is a, mitch, a mismatch pretty much all over the floor. And I wonder if he, his drive to win, if he will be more willing to allow Kyrie to be more dominant when they're on the floor together to get him the ball, because together and combined, they can still get theirs. Because now, I mean, th- these are the two guys. Yeah, they are. They're, I mean, they're going to each have as many shots as they want. I was just looking at the standings. Uh, they're 29 and 26. And, um, you know, so I look at it like this. I know everybody's, okay, let me ask you this, Matt. When's the last time you looked at the NBA standings? Uh, personally, to me, I check it out every once in a while because the Mavs are, you know, outside of Denver and Memphis. I mean, the Mavs legitimately, they're two games behind the three spot. So this is one right. of those trades you wonder, you know, could they get, could they even catch Memphis? Could they get a, a two or a three? I don't know. Probably not the two, but, but could they get up to three? But here's, here's what I was asking you. Because if you haven't looked at the NBA standings lately, and I hadn't looked at the NBA standings in weeks or months, if you haven't looked at them lately, do you know who the third seed is in the West? Yeah, nobody. The Kings are actually fairly decent this year. The Sacramento yeah. Kings, who haven't been good since Weber and Stojakovic 20 years ago, they're like seven games over 500. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at standings. I was shocked because <laughs> I hadn't looked at them. I, matter of fact, I was like, is this 2023? Let me make sure. Because at the top of the standings are Denver, Memphis, and Sacramento. Uh, but I was looking at it because, yeah, you're right. So they're two games behind Sacramento, and they're only um, a half. They're only one game. They're only two games out of 10th place. How about that, Matt? They're only three games out of 12th place, three and a half games out of 13th, I mean. And only four games out of second. So they're right. I mean, they could go either way. And you hope that there's a quick transition and maybe they can gain some momentum and uh, and really make a move and, you know, perhaps get to the third spot um, so that, you know, the road to the finals or the NBA finals is not quite so hard that you have at least, you know, a series at home or two series at home before you have to play, right. uh, give up home court and go somewhere else. But, uh, there, I mean, there's no dominant team outside of the Nuggets who are uh, 20 games over. Um, I don't consider the Grizzlies a dominant team this year. Uh, I mean, you know, they're 15 and 16 in the West. They can't really be dominant with that record. Very true. Uh, So uh, my point is, I think, um, and I'm going to make this other thing. You know, Denver is only only 12 and 13 on the road. 
which to me means they're not a great team because the great teams over the course of the NBA history will kick your butt on the road just as much as they'll kick it at home. Um, so I think they're a really good team, but they're not such a good team that you should be like, oh, my God, I can't – how could we ever beat them if we have to face them in the Western Conference Finals? Yeah. And so I say all of that, Matt, to say this, this feels like the Cowboys, like the West is wide open. Yep. And Kyrie and Luka, if they can get everybody else to run with them, they have just as good a shot to get out the West as anybody to me now that East got some beasts over there with Boston and Milwaukee. But, you know, I'll, I'll worry about the NBA Finals if they get there. Yeah, and, and look, they're going to get Maxi back after the All-Star break. Josh Green and Jaden Hardy went bonkers last night in their win over Utah in which Luka I, did not play. Can I tell you something, bro? Mm. I haven't watched a lot of basketball. I haven't paid a lot of attention. But I do know uh, Hardy – is something special. Like maybe he's just a one-dimensional scorer. I don't know. But anybody that young who can score the way he can score, uh, he got a long-term future in the NBA. Yeah, and so I think that that was part of the reason why they were okay moving on from Dorian is because they believe Josh Green can take the basically take over his role as a, as a – a kind of three and D guy who can score. Now, granted, he's not taken, you know, Dorian was shooting five, six, three pointers a game. This guy in not getting an op- the same opportunity shooting three a game, but he's still hitting 42% of those when he shoots. If he can keep that up, obviously that would be incredible. And another thing you are now bringing in a dude who's averaging 27, five and five in your backcourt. And for a team that does not shoot free throws well, immediately becomes their best free throw shooter. Yeah. I mean, it's not even close because he shoots like 88, 89% from free throw and nobody else that gets prominent minutes is shooting anywhere near. Like, I don't even know if they have another dude shooting over 80% that plays regularly. He's a basketball savant, man. The talent has never been an issue, ever. Talent's never the issue. It's all the other stuff. Um so I'm I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it, man, to see what uh, what he can do because uh, the possibilities are endless. You know, just like I said, the Mavericks look at the West and go, "Who scares you?" And they go, "Nobody." Right. Well, every other team in the West is going, "This could be our year." Because who scares you? And the answer, collectively throughout the West, is nobody. And so, uh, to me, that makes it even more competitive because everybody knows they got a shot. Yeah, and, and it, look, we, we have yelled and screamed for Jerry Jones and the Cowboys to do a move like this. Do, do what the Eagles or some of these other teams have done and, and make a move and go for it. And the Mavs are doing that. And I do, there is some truth to this. It's like Mavs fans are like, okay, you can't win the way it's constructed. Luka needs help. Go get Luka. Oh, wait, well, not that guy, though. You know, not, not him, but, but Luka needs help. Luka needs another guy. Luka, we need another star. And so... This is what it is. And the Mavs are in the midst of this five-game road streak where they've got five games in a row on the road. And then they've got five or six of their next seven on the road. They beat Utah last night in Utah Monday night. They are going to play the Clippers on Wednesday night. That is expected to be Kyrie Irving's debut with the Mavs, but Luka will not be playing in that game. They then go to take on the Sacramento Kings in back-to-back games in Sacramento on Friday and Saturday night with the hope that that will be the first time on Friday night against Sacramento that we will see Kyrie and Luka together. Mm. 
So we'll see how it turns out. And then, of course, they got next week Minnesota at home and then Denver on the road before they go into the All-Star break and get a week off for that. But it's it's a it's fascinating and I'm still very intrigued to see because there's some thoughts that they're trying to move Tim Hardaway Jr. and some of these other pieces on the team to make another move happen what that would be who knows we'll see we'll see I've been trying to look it up and see what the what the other move is what what type of player are you looking for I don't even know where how how this happens where it comes what you do we shall see but the Mavs and Kyrie Irving man there it is one of just nine players ever to finish a season within the 40, the 50, 40, 90 club, which is 50 from the field, 40 from three point range and 90 from the free throw. Wow. So he can ball, man. Let's just hope that he wants to play. I mean, this is a dude that hasn't played more than 67 games in the last five years. So hopefully he's healthy and he wants to play and he truly actually wants to be here and he enjoys playing with Luca and it works for four months. Yeah, I mean, see, I read something the other day that said that uh, they had offered uh, Wood an extension, and I wondered if that was a two-year extension as opposed to the four-year extension. And then I think they're in a position to offer Kyrie two years and seventy-eight million. Right. And so I wondered if if they were thinking maybe we can get all these guys on two-year deals, and we can make it work for the next couple years. But as I hear that, I'm also thinking, well, Kyrie is now 31, I think. He's not interested in a two-year deal. He wants a longer-term deal, I would think. So I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of moving parts here. There, there is a lot of moving parts with this, but it's fascinating. We'll see if it works. And if not, again, like we mentioned earlier, if it doesn't, the dude walks at the end of the year, and you're like, well, that didn't work, and you've got max cap space going into free agency. Now, are there any free agents on the level of Kyrie Irving? No, but no. there are some... You know, there are some high-level NBA free agents that are going to be available this offseason, and you never know who's going to opt out. I mean, the, the, the NBA is – it's so hard to know at times, like, what's going to work and who's going to be there. You know, like, Russ, like Westbrook, Middleton, James Harden are all free agents after the season. D'Angelo Russell – I'm just throwing out names that some people may realize. Okay. Let me see. Okay, say those again. Westbrook. Westbrook, Chris Middleton. He can't play anymore. Chris Middleton, to me, is just a solid guy. James Harden. Okay, he's older. I don't know how in the world that would work with Luka. Obviously, Kyrie. Chris Stapps is a free agent. Oh! D'Angelo Russell. I I really like him because he's a Buckeye, but he's just a... He's going to play on 17 teams before he retires because he's got a nice skill set, but nobody ever wants him long-term. Fred Van Fleet, uh, Harrison Barnes... No. Jeremy Grant, Bogdan Bogdanovich. No, no, no. Gary Trent Jr., Malik Beasley, Will Barton. So, you know, then you're getting down to like the next level where Christian Christian Wood is. And so who knows? We'll we'll see how it turns out, but that's what it is for now with the Dallas Mavericks. Go win something. Uh. <laughs> that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. Uh yeah. Todd Archer's got time. Right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, before we take this quick trip around the block, let's tell you, as we always do, about Freeway Tire Shop. Freeway Tire Shop has been with us for a long time, and 
You guys know JR and his crew, the amount of professionalism, the customer service, but almost more importantly than that, the peace of mind that you will have knowing that the work being done to your vehicle, you can trust the work and you've got a guy who will stand behind it. It, it just, it's simply, we have discovered the best mechanic shop in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And now you know how to get there. And maybe you'll see Jacques while you're there. You know, at one level, that would be cool. At another level, I ain't really trying to see y'all. Because uh, that means <laughs> I got to give JR some more money. I done put two of his three kids through college already, I think. But JR is the best, man. Uh, and that's because of the trust factor. I talk about it all the time. It's that you can trust him to diagnose what the hell is wrong with your car. And you can trust him to use quality parts to fix said problem with car. Uh, it's also important, as we all know, with money and the economy and everything, you can trust him to charge you a fair price. You can trust him to stand behind his work. If your mechanic ain't doing them four things, like for real, mm-hmm. you need to let that person go, drive five minutes up 35 toward Denton, get off at the Commonwealth exit from downtown, go through the light, he's on the right, and go take your car to JR. Because you don't have those kind of problems, man. And it's, um, it's terrific. I trust him. I believe in him. I like him. And uh, that's why I go to him. And so, you know, you too should give JR a shot to fix your car if your mechanic is not handling his business. I agree. You got to make it happen. It, it doesn't get any better than Freeway Tire Shop. Experience it for yourself. See what we're talking about. You'll be blown away. I can promise you that. Freeway Tire Shop, it's online where you can schedule an appointment. You can request a quote. Find them at freewaytireshop.com. Also, of course, our guys over at Smokey John's Barbecue. Don't forget the big game coming up on Sunday. If you haven't, you might want to give them a call if you're still looking to get your party catered and you would like the big game pack. For $149.95, a half gallon of brisket queso, four pounds of wings, 20 hot links, the bread, the chips, the Smokey John's barbecue sauce, all of that, they will throw it in and make sure that your big game party gets taken care of. Smokey John's Barbecue, you can give them a call at 214-352, what is it, 352-2752, 214-352-2752, so you can make that happen. They're also doing a Valentine's Day pack, they call it Q for Two, so you and your lady, you and your lover, whatever the case may be, for 75 bucks, man, you can have a nice deal. How about this, a pound and a half of barbecue, two pints of sides, a pint of peach cobbler or banana pudding, chocolate-covered strawberries, and a special Valentine's message, a unique way to enjoy Valentine's dinner. And, of course, that's coming up in less than a week. So Smokey John's Barbecue, man, they're always doing really cool stuff. They got some great ideas for fun ways to celebrate events in your life. And they also, of course, are always offering the Jam Session Bowl. They got basically anything you need, they can make it happen for you with Smokey John's. Dude, I think the thing about uh, Smokey John's is it's all good, man. The sides are good, whether it's the mac and cheese, whether it's the sweet potatoes, whether it's the greens. They're all good, man. The uh, the wings, the smoked wings on Wednesday are fantastic. Whatever you order is great. Matt loves catfish. I mean, it's all good. And so take your butt over there. And just You could actually put a blindfold on, walk over to the menu that's on the wall, put your finger on something and say, I'll take this and you'd be happy. You will. I can promise you. I'm telling you. Love it. Enjoy it. Go and check it out. It's Smokey John's Barbecue. Family-owned, man. The, the brothers that own it are just wonderful people. They've got a phenomenal staff. I really think you'll enjoy your experience at Smokey John's. 
It's right over there off Mockingbird in between Love Field and 35 in the DFW area. Or check them out online at SmokyJohns.com. So a quick trip around the block here because I wanted to throw out a couple of things for you. And one of those is, and you know, I've talked about Yellowstone a few times and they had 1883. Well, earlier this year, 1923 came out, which is another like Yellowstone origin story, which is the family in between 1883 and obviously the modern times, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren star in this thing. And I got, I mean, the dude that created Yellowstone, Taylor Sheridan, you talk about creating this universe where it just feels like the whole thing is unlimited with all these spinoffs and all these different angles of kind of telling the story of this family. And again, it's another one of those things that's just, it's extraordinarily well done. Very well. I mean, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, come on. As your main guys, you know the acting is there. And you can tell with this series, it's like, oh, we've got Yellowstone money. And some of the camera <laughs> shots and some of the way that they produce this series, it's 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 really well put together, man. It is, it's it's something. And they again, these are the stories like Yellowstone today, the the main series. I, I've said this before, it's like a Western Sopranos. Well, the older series are are more like that Western vibe to them because they're old. And, and they are factually true, and they tell the story of what life, at that time period, what life in a, in a small town in Wyoming was probably very much like. Kind of worth it if you're into that type of thing. Dude, I, no, I, I bet, you know, I wonder if they just got Harrison Ford because he's got that, uh, that house in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Maybe it could be. They're like, hey, dude, you don't have to just come <laughs> over here for filming. You can go home when you're there. Helen Mirren is phenomenal. In I mean, I, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets nominated for an award. I mean, <laughs> Helen Mirren is, is crushing it, man. She's good. But the story, I mean, it's just, you know, it's really interesting to see what would life have been like in Wyoming in 1923 if this was your land and you have all these different things and, you know, you're dealing with, I mean, there are some disturbing things in the first couple episodes of how, I mean, keeping, again, the white man comes in, oh, this is our land, and they, they are kind of showing in that little area how they handled some of the Native Americans that they had taken the land from and had forced to go to school and that type of stuff. And it's like, man, like this is, there's some intense scenes in it. Dealing with all kinds of different stuff that you might have dealt with. You know, maybe that wasn't quite considered the frontier in 1920s, but it was pretty damn close. <laughs> no, that's a, uh, that sounds like, you know, in 1920s, so you got wildlife, you got weather. Uh, I don't think you have the uh, Native American issue then per se. So I don't know. This, I, but I bet it's uh, I bet it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is, and and it, it's just really, really well done telling the story of of this Dutton family and and how they came to be. And it's you know it could have been I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's. It's an interestingly done show. We're a couple episodes into that. The other thing is all of, and we talk about this many times. I, I'm a big reader. I read a lot of books. I've, I've already knocked out five this year. And I'm on book six. I am reading a book called The Good Life. It is a look into the world's largest ever study of happiness and what makes a good life. And I didn't even know this thing existed. And maybe some of you do. Apparently, in 1938, Harvard started what is known as the Harvard study, and the Harvard study has followed people since 1938 
for 80 years now, they have been following and studying and interviewing people, asking them like all sorts of questions about their life. Now, obviously the people in the, in, at the beginning have now since passed, but they, it's gone on to their kids, their grandkids, other relatives. They've branched out into other genres of humanity. As you might imagine in 1938, Harvard study was basically done about white people, white men. And they, they did people who graduated from Harvard and then some of the poorer white people that lived in Boston at the time in the 19, late 1930s. And they followed them for their entire lives. They started, some of them were 14 years old when they started the study and lived until they were in their 80s. And they would get with them every couple of years. They send them a questionnaire to fill out how, like, like this in-depth questionnaire. Like once every five years, they go and they get like a health records from them and they talk to them and they do these health tests with them and see how they're aging and all. It's fascinating, man. And now they've since branched out and they include a lot of, there's a way more diversity in it, as you might imagine, in, in more recent years. But it's basically these data and these lessons on how to live longer and happier lives. Essentially, what does it mean to live a good life? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about that uh, with a friend of mine right now uh, about what is, uh, that's actually been an ongoing topic, man. Because happiness is different for everybody in, in terms of what you want out of life and, and, and how you want to enjoy it and, as Matt would say, how you want to consume it. And um, it's a real big factor for me now. And I don't think enough people really understand what it, you know, what's required to be happy. Like, um, and I can't remember if I told you this, man. Like, my daughter was asking me, couple months ago what i wanted for my birthday a gift yeah and i was like you know i was like i sent her a text i said you know i'm really at the stage in my life where the things i want you can't really buy me <laughs> you know happiness yeah. and health and peace of mind and and all that stuff i go it's not for sale you just got to find it and get it so whatever you get me i i'll love it but i don't really want anything except things you can't buy and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird like that, man. But uh, uh, I'm on an eternal quest for happiness. Well, it's interesting because they basically tell you in the first chapter of this book that the one common factor through all these years and all these people, and I mean, we are talking a study that has incorporated thousands and thousands of people over 80 years of, of life. And they even dip into other studies in different parts of the world and whatnot from other countries. And they say the one common theme that is most associated with people who live longer is relationships and higher like that, like being happy and having meaning in your life is establishing and developing and continuing relationships. And it's not necessarily like relationship with a wife or something of that nature, although that does play into it, but relationships with friends, relationships with your community, and things like that. And then the book, all those, go ahead. The book kind of lays out like, here's what we mean by that. And here's how, how to help you develop better relationships and how to help you understand how to connect. So, I mean, it's fascinating. Like, like, like very early in the book, they basically tell you that people who throughout the course of their life express a loneliness or express a disconnect or that they don't have meaningful relationships die like an average of 10 years before other people, regardless of health stuff. Like it, it's, yeah. it's fascinating that 
people that are living into their 80s and whatnot, like their their common factor is they they constantly talk about what makes you happy, my relationships, spending time with people, my I'm connected to my community, stuff like that. No, that that uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and uh, I think. Um, there's a lot of people who try to do that and, you know, cause it gives you meaning. It gives you life meaning and purpose and all of that. And uh, that's what helps you get going in the morning because it can't, you know, it can't just be a, I got to get up and go to this job. Right. The job can't be the reason why you survive and thrive and all of this stuff. You need, you need more. Uh, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's, uh, part of it is the relationship I have with my two workout partners, uh, uh, Zeus and Keith, you know, and we yeah. solve all the world. We solve all the world's problems every morning, five days a week. Uh, we're out there solving the world's problems. And then you know, I got another relationship with with Clarence and Calvin, and we solve the other problems that I don't solve in the morning. And uh, you know, I, I've got some other friends that I talk to. You know, me and you solve problems, uh, cowboy problems for for all you guys out there three times a week. And you know, I think it's good to have a lot of different relationships. Uh, you know, and. Uh, it makes life fun and it makes life uh, interesting. And I think when you got positive relationships, you look forward to them because they help you grow in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And, and it's very, very interesting to to read these these types of things. And, and it, like it, it, it's fascinating because this is a dude at Harvard that's now in charge of the study. Him and the associate director, they, they wrote this book revealing a lot of their findings over the years. And he says, you know, they, they've asked people, do you want to work on this project with us? And I can't, I think she was originally from India, grew up very poor and whatnot, and had come over here in recent years to go to Harvard and all this. And he asked a student, did you want to participate in this? She's like, no, I won't have anything in common with these people. And he said, well, here's a file, just take it home and read it. And then let me know next week. And she said, he, like he, she came back and was like, I need to work on this. I have to be a part of this. Because you realize no matter kind of where we're all from or our upbringings or our experiences that a lot of what the core of what humans want is very similar and we experience and express similar thoughts at basically the same phases of life that we go through. Like I, I read I read this one dude survey last night that's in the book from the 1960s when he was 43 years old. And the answers that he had written down, I was like, holy crap, like I, I would have very similar answers because I'm 43 years old, even though this dude lived 60 years ago in a different part of the country and had different experiences. So what would your answers be? No, uh, I'd have to, it's basically, it, it's kind of like, it's hard to say Maybe because- Short answers or long answers? Yeah, it's like more, more in depth, like, like life. You know, the quick thought of it would be, like the one thing that really jumped out to me was right around this age is when you start realizing that life is short, like truly understanding what that oh, is okay. and mortality right. and that type of thing. And some of the questions that you might ask yourself about where you're at in life and that all that. And, and they, they, they tell you, and I think most people agree with this. And when you're in your early twenties, you know, you could, they'll, they'll say, we ask people what, what would make you happy at the end of your life and they're like, Oh, having money and you know, maybe it's fame, a really good job. And then you ask in the thirties and it starts to change. And in the forties it's changing even more. And then by the time you get to fifties, sixties and seventies, it starts being a lot more about family and relationships and all that. And you start, and people start realizing there, there obviously is a level of money to be comfortable, but it's, I mean, it, it's, you know, they break all this stuff down. It's very interesting. It's called the good life. 
How'd you come across this book? It, it came out fairly recently. So it was on like the Amazon bestselling list and I saw it and I was like, oh, I put it on my list to, to roll back around Just and check it out. Around. Okay. All right. That yeah, but it's because uh, check that one out. Yeah, it's called The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Study on Happiness. That sounds like a good, that sounds like a good book to read. It is. And it's, it's just for, like, I'm a big fan, and they talk about this. Like, usually, like, when you get into your 40s and as you go through life and get older, you know, personal growth and, you know, understanding that life is not all about you and that type of thing becomes more important to people. And I'm a big personal growth person of I want to be changing. I want to constantly feel like I'm growing and being a better human. And books like this, you know, I'm always looking and reading about, you know, what are people's different theories on happiness and life and aging and that type of thing is, is very interesting to me. No, it is, bro. And is trust me, as you get further down the road, it becomes more and more and more interesting. I bet it does. Hell yeah. So check it out if, if you're into that type of thing. But I, I suppose we should call Todd Archer now and see what he's got for us with the Dallas Cowboys. All right, here he is, our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter, Todd Archer, jumping on with us. So let's get to it. And, and offensive coordinator, a lot. It, it's interesting because what do you expect out of somebody like a Brian Schottenheimer when it's been made known that Mike McCarthy is going to call the plays? What is his kind of role and fit if he's not the play caller traffic cop. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I mean, organize, run the meeting, be on the same page with the coach. And, and, you know, you, you kind of hint at like, I, I, those are the questions we'll have. We'll ask McCarthy at the combine or whenever we get him again. Um, and, and Schottenheimer as well is like, okay, what's the divvy up the power here? How does it work? You know, you know, how much involved will Michael be on Tuesdays on the game play meetings? And, you know, it can't be just like, Hey, you guys do everything. And then on Sundays, I'm going to call the plays. The, the head coach has to, or the, the play caller has to be uh, extremely involved in, in the game plan, obviously. So I'm interested to see how they divvy this up, but, and that's why like, you know, offensive coordinator. Yeah. Jacques, help me out. I mean, you kind of have to go back to Mo as the last OC that didn't have Duke. dude. I was I was thinking it was Mo Carthon. Huh? Yeah, like and and Mo is a really good coach, but you know he didn't call the plays. You know Peyton called the plays for Bill, or or actually did Bill call the plays the first year? Yeah, I think he did. So to make sure you know everything was a run, right? <laughs> well, he, went, he got that team to 10 and 6 somehow so it worked <laughs> but yeah that, that's I mean I, it's it's funny like we once Kellen was gone you, you kind of felt that this was the move they were making he, that Brian Schottenheimer was going to be the offense coordinator and that's kind of why I asked at the end of the year uh, McCarthy about Schottenheimer what he thinks of the job he's done da 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 and he just raved about a guy who was you know, behind the scenes consultant dude. So I'm like, okay, here's your next offense coordinator. And now that he's done it, I think people are like, really? You named Brian Schottenheimer the offense coordinator? Like, if you didn't see this coming, you just weren't paying attention. No, I can't, uh, I can't disagree with you. What do you think about the futures of uh, Zeke and Tyron now that you've had a few more days to think about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I don't know when my story is coming up on Zeke and, and what, you know, the options that they can do. And, um, that that one feels 
etched in stone at this point, if I'm being honest with you. Like, and we've talked about this before, you know, the, the pay cut that they will ask him to take, would he actually want to take it to stay here? Maybe he would. But then you have such an influential person in that locker room that you're going to sit there and, and have him play or carry the ball eight times a game. Like, I, it, it just doesn't seem to be a fit anymore, especially considering how Zeke ended the season. All his fault, no. But, you know, we talked about it. It just didn't look like he had anything left in his legs. And, you know, you're going to have to do something with Pollard, you would think. Or, or maybe you move on from both those guys and you get your running back spending back close to normal and not, you know, overpay or, or I don't say overpay, not spend so high at that position. Uh, the, the one with Tyron is a little more interesting because this is the last year of his contract. I mean, you just ride it out and, and play it out and, hey, if he, if he's your left tackle, cool. Um, if But you know he's getting hurt again, but if he gets hurt, you know, you got Tyler Smith there waiting. You can do some things there. I, I would say of the two, Tyron has a better chance of coming back. But if you release him, that's like nine and a half million bucks you gain against the cap. If you're trying to do everything you can to not restructure that contract, there has to be other ways you got to get money. And those are the, the two biggest ways you can with those two guys. So I, I think I said last week, if you had to ask me, I would say both guys wouldn't be back. This week, I guess I'll say of the two, I would say Tyron has the better chance of being back. Yeah, I, I love both of those guys, really. Uh, they've both been terrific uh, at various times. I'd move on from both of them <clears throat> because – and we, we Todd and I have had conversations about this over the years, but, you know, the best organizations have always moved on a year early. We I think, if I'm not mistaken, we've always – when Todd and I have talked, it's always been – the Cowboys always tend to move on a year late uh, in general, and – if you move on a year early from Tyron, even if he's productive somewhere next year, uh, me, man, we both all, we all know he's going to get hurt next year and miss three or four games because he's done it for the last five or six years. Nobody's fault. That's just what happens. So why not just save that money against the cap? Tyler Smith was better than I thought he'd be um, for whatever that's worth at left tackle. You can put him out there. You can go find a guard in the second round if you really want to get somebody to plug and play, or you can get a one-year guy to stop gap it. You got Terrence Steele coming keep back. Connor, or you can keep Connor McGovern. He was fine. Yeah. You know? I mean, he wasn't. Yeah. So, uh, If you can get him to a reasonable deal, uh, yeah. But what I'm saying is you could do that, and instantly your offensive line is now all in their, their mid to, to early 20s, and so you can maybe grow as a unit outside of Zach Martin. And you can use that savings to figure out what you want to do at running back, which leads to my next question is, how are you going to add some playmakers? Uh, you want the draft, you want free agency, you want both. Uh, and then we'll move into the, the text conversation we had about your quarterback. See how I did that tease? Uh, see, yeah, I thought that was off the record. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so much for that. Whoops! <laughs> I would say, look, what do I think they should do in, in for, for playmakers draft and free agency? What do I think they will do in, in, in finding playmakers? It won't be in free agency because when's the last time they made a legitimate move? you got to go back a decade on Brandon Carr, basically, uh, when they made a legitimate free agent signing. Um, now they just don't do that. They're a true draft and develop team, and, you know, they're they're going to – trim the edges in free agency to fill holes and hope that that's good enough and then draft guys and, and fill in. But um, 
running back with what you got doesn't make sense to me. And if you're moving to a West Coast offense um, where accuracy and precision is such a key, you better have a receiver that knows what he's doing right away. I mean, this isn't like, okay, you got the West Coast offense, going to take a little bit, but, you know, they're going to grow and blah, blah, blah. No, this team's built to win now. Like, if they don't win now, eventually you're going to have to start a, you know, the, a, a plan over again. It's just the way the, the cycle of this thing, the way it goes. So um, I can't sit there and tell you, like, oh, go get, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster. Does that, I don't know if he really changes the dynamic that much, to be honest with you. But um, And where you're picking in the draft, like I'm, when's the last rookie receiver that's come in here and been outstanding from the minute he got here? CD had a really good rookie year, but there was still growth that he had to go through. Um, that's more the – that's not as normal. And you're not – I can't imagine he'll take a receiver at number one in the first round. Maybe I'm wrong. But, man, I don't know how – I don't have a great feel for how the draft shapes up yet. I know it's not a great first-round cornerback draft. Um I can see them if we talked about Tyron, you go old line in the first round can make some sense. We've seen the Cowboys excel there. When, when's their last bad first round pick they had in the offensive line? They probably got to go back to 1981 before they took Tyron, right? Was it Howard Richards? Yeah, was that the guy? Yep. Yeah. Um, he's a, he's a, he's, he follows me on Twitter. Awesome. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> cool. Man, I don't know if that you, you've had better name drop, Jeff. Um, Jeez. <laughs> uh, but they, they have to find something to help. It, it can't just be, well, McCarthy will scheme it up and that'll be their playmaker difference. It's got to be talent infusion, especially at receiver. And look, Dalton Schultz is going to be back. They're going to need a tight end as well. So now it's a really good tight end draft. So, but you're not building your offense around a tight end unless you have a Kelsey or a back in the day, Kellen Winslow or, you know, those kind of guys. I, I, I don't, yeah, they better do something in free agency other than just getting a guy on a one-year deal for the veteran minimum. I almost hate to ask this question. It's a very football-centric question. They've used this, are they still using a numbered language system for their offense? And I asked that. We'll find out. Well, West Coast is all language. Right. And they weren't, they, they, they were a mixture of the number system and, and words. Uh, It wasn't just 525 F post anymore. There there was a lot of verbiage in there. The way I understand it might be wrong, but um, they, they had added a bunch of stuff to that. So, uh, but yeah, they, if McCarthy is bringing his offense in here, you know, I go back to one time Brad Johnson, he was quarterback, uh, and he and he gave a John Gruden play call, and Gruden was a West Coast guy. It was like 30 words. I'm like, how the <laughs> hell do you remember this? Yeah, I mean, it, that, it was like a paragraph. I mean, it, it, so that that's going to be something that would be interesting to see is how they modify, is that the right word? Uh, you know, the, the scheme and, and – and, make it fit with what you have here and, and what they've done here. Cause look, what they've done here is not, people think this offense is bad. Like that Kellen was terrible. I, I just don't, I, I don't understand when you can look at, yes, you can look at specific games and, 
that where he wasn't good and, and the offense wasn't good. But by and large, he was a very capable offensive coordinator who did good things. And especially this year, if we're saying they had no playmakers, and they led the league in scoring in the final how many games did Dak play? Nine, ten games when he came back from the thumb injury. So what the hell? I, I just don't. Uh, I don't know. I'm back on. Yeah, ask me the the Dak question. Whatever you're gonna ask me there, Doc. Yeah, what is and it? We'll, and then we'll let Matt continue and join our conversation. <laughs> I am. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Who's Matt? Uh, uh, <laughs> essentially, the question real. was because I, I think I've been on a Twitter rant somewhat of a rant talking about well you can get rid of Dak but what's your what's your option to get better and uh Arch was essentially like well does a quarterback need to be better than Dak or does he just need to be good uh and be cheaper so that you can put better pieces around him so maybe if Dak was a uh, in Madden terms maybe if Dak was an 87 if you got a quarterback that was an 82 but all your other parts were better would that work out better? Is that a fair assessment, Arch? Yeah, and I think, you know, when, when people have talked about, look at Philadelphia was able to do for Jalen Hurts and trading for A.J. Brown. Now they drafted Devontae Smith, and that was a good move. But, tra- you know, trading A.J. Brown was the over-the-top piece that they needed to help Hurts. Why would, a big reason why they were able to do that is Hurts is on his rookie contract as a second-round pick. Like, it's easy to do – Show me all – I remember last year when Devontae Adams was gone, Amari Cooper was gone, and Harry Kill was gone. All those guys, don't hold me to it, I believe were $20 million receivers, and all of them were with $40 million-plus quarterbacks. Like, that's what happened. You can't – it's hard to have both. And, and now look with this year with, with uh, you know, Carr's going to be leaving the Raiders, although I guess theoretically they could end up with, with – Aaron Rodgers on uh, if he re- reworked his contract, but it, it's hard to have a forty million dollar quarterback and a twenty million dollar wide receiver. And I'm not going down the we can go down the Amari path if we want, but I'm just sticking to the to the Dak question. You know, you can and you can play the game of you know no quarterback has won a Super Bowl when he's eaten up X percent of the salary cap, whatever that number is over the years. Sometimes that stat is kind of body because you don't know is it after restructure of the contract where the base salary comes down blah 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 all that stuff and Tom Brady screws everything up because he was so good for so long and took less than New England it's hard to find good quarterbacks I got you I'm going on my my basis for potentially even thinking about drafting a quarterback early this year is history tells you if a quarterback has not gotten your team to an NFC title game or a conference title game or a Super Bowl in his first five years, he's probably never going to do it. If you can find, I just saw Mike Tannenbaum on there. Is like in the last five years, there have been eight significant starting quarterbacks drafted out of 56, somewhere, something like that. Well, those odds might be better than 0% chance of going to a conference title or a Super Bowl with a quarterback entering year eight when he's never done it before. It's just, I'm not advocating it. I guess I'm just saying, shouldn't you at least consider it? And I don't even think the Cowboys consider it, which is not the proper way to go about your business. You have to consider every option. But I think they're just so fearful. Teams live in fear of that position that if the New York Giants pay Daniel Jones $40 million a year, the people who should be doing the biggest cartwheels in the NFL are the Cowboys, Eagles, and Washington. Because then they're not going to be able to do anything else to help the rest of that roster. 
Daniel Jones is not a forty million dollar quarterback. He has thirty million dollar year quarterback. He had one. He had a good season this year, but this is this is as good as he's going to be. So why would you put so much into a guy? In my view, put so much into a guy like that to cripple you at other spots where you can't get better around him. I tend to agree with you, man, because like if you go back and look at the Super, just both teams in the Super Bowl, their last decade or so. Pretty much every single one of them, at least in the matchup pair, because like you're saying, Tom Brady throws the whole damn thing off. But you look at who he was playing against, it's half the time it's some dude on a rookie contract or it was Matt Ryan who would have been, I think Matt Ryan and Peyton Manning had the highest percentage of the cap taken up and they both lost. And Brady has the highest percentage of any Super Bowl winning quarterback and it was like 12%, unless Mahomes wins this year, because his is like 17.5% of the cap, I think, this season. But it is kind of interesting. You look at all these teams. I mean, you can look around the NFL. A lot of the teams that made it even to the conference championship games that have a quarterback on a very affordable contract to where they're able to build up around him and you have to take advantage in that first five years or it's not going to happen for you. That's like the path right. that we've seen. And there's there's just so many exa- outside of Tom Brady. That's like basically the model that everybody else has followed to get to a Super Bowl. And, and look, you know, okay, the Bengals, they have Joe Burrow. It was year three for him when he got him to the Super Bowl, right? It was year three. Was it year three? No, it was year, year two. two. Year, was three. year three this yeah, year. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. This was year three. Like, I'm okay. You know, Joe Burrow, give him the world, man. Like, he's done it. He's, you know, the window is open, as he said, for his whole career to, to, to win a title. He's shown he can take a team there and lead a team with a poor offensive line to a Super Bowl and back, and back to an AFC title game that, realistically they should have or could have or might have won again um so i'm not saying what i'm saying is you have to find that time where the guy has started all this all these games and if you've not gotten there with him yet you have to ask yourself is it ever going to happen and history kind of tells you that it's not so again at least protect yourself and do what Green Bay did by taking Jordan Love at 26 overall. And look, that, that inspired Aaron Rodgers to get back-to-back MVP awards. You think the Packers are mad at that? Probably not. Like, they had the best record in the league two years in a row. If the Cowboys want to draft somebody at 26, I don't know who it is, and Dak plays out of his mind this year and they go to an NFC title game, the Cowboys aren't going to be mad at that. Cowboys fans aren't going to be mad at that. Then you have another asset that you can use. Back in the day, what 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 teams used to do is draft a guy, either develop him and trade him, or play the guy and get rid of the starter. Like that's just kind of how it goes about it. But I think for the Cowboys, the automatic assumption is: don't you remember how bad it was here between Aikman and Romo, and it's just going to be that way again? Well, draft better, like well, or draft at all. But I think it, when you talk about the history. And Matt's an expert on this. You also have to say if you want a guy who you legitimately think we're going to draft this guy and he's going to help us win a Super Bowl, which is obviously the goal, you got to take that guy in the first round. Um, and so if you take him in the first round, now you have that situation where, like, we talked all offseason about getting Dak some help, and this was the Aaron Rodgers complaint. And now we spent the first round pick, our most valuable pick, on a guy who can't help us this year. Price of doing business. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I mean, no, that's why it's a good conversation because you got to make these choices and you got to figure out right. 
what and, and look, and it's easy to... for yeah, it's easy for me to say it. I have no skin in the game. I'm not gonna. I won't lose a job because I fake wanted them to draft the guy that they didn't draft. Like, not gonna be my job on the line now. But but I also say, and I I think I said this in our text back and forth. If there's one general manager in a league that doesn't have to worry about job security, and if he drafts the wrong guy at quarterback, it's Jerry or Steven yeah, or whoever you want to say. Like, yeah, yeah. they're you're not going sure anywhere. No, no, you're right. You damn sure say that. Well, like, why? Why do they live? Why does I can understand why some teams live in fear, be, because or GMs and coaches live in fear of that because their jobs on the line. These guys aren't going anywhere. Like, be bold. You know, be, think differently. Um, look at it from a different angle. Again, don't operate just out of fear. Like, like think just think about it. And and when you hear Stephen say ten more years of Dak. Like well, they're not. I don't even think they're thinking of it, and I don't know if that's the proper way to be thinking of how you're constructing your team, or maybe that's even just, hey, this is what I have to say, and I'm I'm going to say that publicly and and think something else behind the scenes. But that's why this whole off season, what they do with Dak, will be telling. Do they do nothing? That tells you he's on he's on the hook. Do they do they restructure him? That tells you, okay, he's probably playing out the last two years of his deal. So they extend him. Well, clearly, then they're doubling down on on 160 million bucks that they they've given him and and giving him another 200 million dollars. And and you'll still be in the same position where he's going to count so much against the cap, despite this whatever huge burst we're going to see in the cap. He's still going to cost so much that it's going to be hard to add pieces to help get got better guys around him when, oh, by the way, you got to pay CD, you got to pay Lamb, uh, uh, Diggs, you got to pay Micah Parsons. We, you talked about the offensive line and these 20-something-year-olds that are can grow together. Well, Beatus is a free agent after this year, or 2023, I think. Uh, Terrence Steele, if they don't extend him this um, season, will be an unrestricted free agent. So all of a sudden, you're not really growing that 20-year-old offensive line together. And that's why I think it's important that they start staggering some of these deals with the guys that are coming up because you, you just can't be in a situation where you're losing. Eventually, the draft and develop philosophy is great, but you got to get some of these guys on second contracts that are going to be at the high end, and you're just going to have to deal with it. So, yeah, it's, this is why it's a fascinating offseason for the Cowboys and how they want to approach the, the biggest, most important position that's uh, that's all right. All right. Before we let you go, in thirty seconds, I'm gonna start with mm-hmm. Matt. What's your what's your deck? How are you handling deck as a GM, Matt? What's your thirty second answer? Man, my thirty second answer is I'm I'm drafting a quarterback. Problem is, I mean, can you draft in the first round? I would I I would be I wouldn't want to do that. Unfortunately, plus where they're drafting, unless I was gonna trade up and there's a Mahomes type guy where I'm like, this guy, I know I can win with him, and I'm going to trade up and get him, sit him for a year behind Dak, and then we're going to make this transition like the Chiefs did with Mahomes. Other than that, I, I, I might take a quarterback in the second round, in the third round for sure, just to have somebody there that maybe we can develop, that we can fall into like the Seahawks did with Russell Wilson. All right, I'm kind of, uh, my 30-second answers, I'm kind of uh, the best I can. I'm maneuvering to, to get him some weapons, but I, I don't really want to mess with his deal. 
uh, because I want this year to be the year where I know whether I'm going long term or not. And I'm putting it I'm giving him the best thing I can give him this year. And then I'm going to say last year was a fluke. Let me see what you got this year. And I'm putting it all on this year to see whether I believe I can ride with him long term or not. Uh, what's your what's your what's your uh, 30 second answer, Todd? I'll I'll restructure his contract and create the cap room and go get him some help this year and then see what happens in 2023. I'm drafting a guy in the legitimate rounds, not a Ben DiNucci type dude in the seventh round and start the process of potentially having a guy in place with Dak. I realized by restructuring, I sit, I've added money to his cap in, in 25 when he's gone. Um, but I'm also in a situation where I've created enough cap room where I can find some help and in, in at receiver, at tight end, at offensive line, at running back, whatever you want to do, um, and get some playmakers around them. But I'm not extending it. Uh, I, I'm with you on that one, John. All right. There he is. Todd Archer, as always, man, we appreciate you. Yep. Sounds good. See you, fellas. All right. There Todd he goes. Bro. Todd Archer on his way out. And, yeah, that's I, I, I think you have to, man. You got to plan for the future. You got to start setting some things in motion. Problem is, I don't think the Cowboys would ever walk away from him. And it would be crazy difficult to do. I mean, can you imagine if, if they just sit there and they kind of wince the guy where they eat this dead cap and somebody out there would offer you, I think, probably a solid draft pick for Dak. If you were ready to move on for him after this year, you could maybe, like, what if you could get a, I don't know if you could, you think somebody would trade a first for Dak? They might. I don't know. Well, yeah, it depends on who the team is. Right, and that's the thing. Like, if you could get a first for Dak, and you had two like first-round picks. Maybe you could move up to get a quarterback that you really believed in. I mean, let's – you know, you could play the game, and let's just say it was this year. Like, we were having this – this year was, you know, coming in, and you, you, you did something, and you were trying to be like, well, what do we want to do, Matt? And you said, hey, dude, let's do this. Call the Jets and see what they'll give us for Dak. You think the Jets wouldn't consider strongly – with the defense that they got and some of the skill position they got on offense going, oh, we can get Dak Prescott and slide yeah. him in here? Yeah. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's do it. You know, I think the, uh, the Colts are in a position to draft one, but I think there's, there's some teams out there, the Raiders, they might give you a first for, for Dak or at least a second um, because the quarterback is the most valuable commodity in the league. Right. And so if you got to do who we know can play, that's not the question whether he can play. It's how well he can play. I mean, dude, yeah, there'll be teams, you know, lining up, I think, to give you a better draft pick than you think. See, and, and if that's the case, then maybe you do that and you say, okay, well, it, you, you couldn't do it here. We're going to make our move in the draft. We're going to be aggressive like the Chiefs were. You know, maybe you don't have to get into the top 10. Maybe there's a guy that you like that you feel like, okay, I can win with that guy if I put these pieces around him and you make the move to go get that quarterback and see if you can figure it out for the next five years. Because then you can re-sign CD, you're keeping him. You've already got some other pieces where you've got a more ready-made offense for an affordable quarterback to walk into. Yeah, as, as we take this conversation with more, what it boils down to really is do you trust Will McClay to find that guy? Who can help us win? If we're going to draft him, you yeah. Know, do you where, do you think he can find that guy and give us the options uh, so that we've got a couple of legitimate options to go get that guy? 
That's what that's to me. That's what it kind of boils down to. We'll see. I, I, it's not happening this year, and and I don't. Again, I don't know if it'll ever happen. I mean, I, I almost kind of believe that they'll just hang on to Dak, and and it'll be what it is for the next several years. But who knows, man? Maybe they will try something completely and shock all of us. Like what happened to risk taker Jerry? <laughs> go go take a risk, man. Go try to strike oil where somebody said there was no oil. He was good at that when he was young. Let's see. I don't know. All right. Well, that's a podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk again very soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.